Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about a person in the Bible who was isolated, kind of like we are right now. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of one of our services online. I think it's really cool that you're listening to a sermon, but it would be even better if you joined us on a Sunday morning here on the internet. There's a bunch of different ways that you can participate with our service online, but the easiest thing for you to do is to go to creeksidebiblechurch.org slash live, creeksidebiblechurch.org slash live, and that will give you all your viewing options. I hope that you'll do that and that you'll join us for a service in the near future. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Today, I want to return to something that that actually struck my interest uh, about a year ago now. Kind of in our our deepest, you know, most isolated time, uh, probably right after Easter last year for us, and I mean that personally, our family, but but all of us really in some ways. I preached a series of sermons that some of you will remember called Isolated, where I looked at different people in the Bible. And I, I, I kind of looked at their, they were isolated, people in the Bible, they were isolated. And I looked at kind of their lives and what we could learn, sometimes their words. And, and in that series, one of the sermons was about a man named David. Uh, he was a king in Israel, but before a king, he was a king. And even during his time as being king, uh, he was in a cave on multiple occasions, actually. He had to hide away in a cave, like the most isolated place I could possibly think of. And, and I said this last year during that sermon series. None of you remember this, so that's why I'm telling you again. But he actually wrote three of the things that we call Psalms. If you know the Psalms, he wrote three of these while being isolated in a cave on different occasions. And that really intrigued me. And last year I preached on one of those Psalms and I, and I wanna come back to one of those today. I know that uh, you know a lot of you are, are finally coming out of isolation, uh, but I think that the caves that David were in, they're representative of far more than just being separated uh, from others. And I think we'll be able to, when I say this, maybe you'll be able to connect with, with David and we're gonna talk about his life a little bit and how these things really connect to his time in a cave. But, but I think the cave re- represents things you know, that we're all dealing with right now. Isolation for some people still. But, but overall, just being stuck in life, man, I've, I've totally felt that this last year. It's like we, we just are stuck trying to like get things going in the right direction for a, as a church. And, and we're just like every step we try to take, it's like we're stuck in cement we can't afford. And I know some of you feel like that. I know, man, I have a friend who owns several restaurants and, uh, and you can imagine that he has felt really stuck. He's, he's in Washington and he's, he's followed the guidelines and worked really hard to be safe. And, and he's, you know, meets one guideline and another guideline comes and he's, he feel, I could just tell the last time I talked to him, he feels so just stuck trying to keep his family going going and his livelihood going. Uh, and so, so being in a cave kind of represents that. I think it represents loneliness, which I think even now as we come back together, you know, as a society, there's so much loneliness. And this year, it demonstrated how lonely people are in general, I think. And I know some of you just deal with, with that feeling. For, for David and, and I guess for us, I think the symbolism of the cave is, is about plans being derailed. 
I mean, how many people feel that, right? I mean, even just little plans. We've been trying to go to Disneyland for like a year and a half now, and um, our current plan is this fall, uh, but we don't know if we'll be able to go to Disneyland this fall. And, 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 but like on a grander scale, right? Like, I mean, I know people who moving through, you know, they're, they're two years at a community college and, and then that kind of just stopped all of a sudden and they, you know, didn't want to do school online. And, and so all of a sudden this plan, their life plan is derailed. People's weddings have been pushed back. And, and this is kind of what David is dealing with when he ends up in a cave. He's has this great life trajectory and it all of a sudden is completely derailed. The cave is clearly representative of, of sadness or depression and I know that many of you are feeling both sad and depressed and I don't use them synonymously. They often go together but, um, but so many are here feeling just sad and depressed. I've had, I don't know if I've told you guys this, I probably have, pretty open about things but I'm not, I'm not generally a depressed person. That's uh, by the grace of God, that's not a struggle that I have. I have plenty but being depressed is not one of them but there's been times in this last, you know, year and, and, and feel like I'm out of it a little right now but where I just, and I think this is what depression is more than just being sad. I just feel like none of the efforts I'm making in life matter. And I've just kind of wanted to just be like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I wonder how long the church will pay me if I just play video games, you know? Like, I mean, that's, please keep giving to our church. But like, that's, that's kind of how I felt at many times during the last year. Like, like, I mean, does any of it actually matter? Like, if I just shut it down, or am I, are we making any, dif- any difference? And if you know me well, you know that I'm really driven by, um, forward movement and, 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 and making a difference and making a difference. And, and I haven't felt like I'm doing any of that in the last, you know, over a year now. And, and so, so the cave, you know, last year, if I would have preached on this Psalm, uh, and when I talked about one of the Psalms, Psalm 142, I believe, that David, that David wrote while in a cave, it was really focused on us just being separated, you know, not being able to hang out with friends. But, but as we look at it today, this Psalm we're going to look at, I really would, would just say that, that I think all of us can connect with at least some of what David would be feeling when he ends up in this cave and then, and then says and pens this psalm that we're going to look at. And here's what happens when all of these things take place in our life can happen. When we're isolated and stuck and lonely and our plans have been derailed and we're sad and depressed, we can start to really question whether God is trustworthy. And uh, I think I even said this last year, but it, but it happens, right? Like we look and we've prayed things and we've asked for things and God isn't responding in the way that we would like. And, and we just, at some point, we either, you know, some people will just say, well, I, I'm gonna stop believing in God. And other people will say, you know what? I'm just gonna stop liking God or serving God or living for God because he's allowed me to be in this cave for so long. It's like he's not paying attention to anything that I'm asking for. It's like he's not paying attention to all of the requests that I've made. It's like he doesn't even know what's going on. And if he knows, it kind of feels like he's a little bit of a jerk. And, and, and we wonder if God is real at all. And we wonder if God cares at all. And, and I think that, that you know, it's, it, it can be like, I think, my kids and um, and their bravery, and they've kind of grown past this now to a fault, but, uh, but 
it, for a while they went through this phase where they were super brave as long as they knew I was going to take care of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, they could handle anything as long as I was, you know, right behind them taking care of them. And there's a little bit of that just always, I think, is being, uh, you know, being a dad and, and having a dad, you know, you, you, there's a little bit of that always, right? Like Hudson will throw himself off of a counter when I'm not looking and just expect that, I, that I'm going to catch him. It's a good thing I played baseball because he'd be dead by now if, if I hadn't have played baseball. But he'll just hurl himself off of things. And even for me, I remember, uh, I'm not going to bore you with the entire story, but there's been a couple times in my adult life where, where situations were just strange for me and hard. And I thought, I just need to call my dad, you know? And uh, even, this is so weird, I know, but the first time I drove across the California border by myself. I remember thinking like, I feel like my dad should be here right now. Like, you know, this doesn't seem safe without my dad around. Um, and, and kids are just that way. And, and, here, and, and when we're stuck in the cave, sometimes we just, the bravery goes away because we wonder if God is in there with us. And, and I think we would do better if we kind of followed David's lead in this psalm. Because here's Here's what I think we see in the story of David. Uh, it's gonna be a rhyme. I haven't done one of these in a while, but here's what I, I think we, we really see, and I hope you'll be able to remember it. We're brave in the cave when we're convinced of what God gave. That's what we're gonna see in the psalm, that we can be brave in the cave when we are convinced of what God gave. For David, here's, here's his story, and you, sh- you should read this. In 1 Samuel uh, 16 through 20, you can read kind of what I'm about to summarize very quickly. But in, in 1 Samuel 16, David is a nobody as far as worldly standards go. He's a shepherd boy, and all of a sudden, he is anointed king of Israel. Uh, even though there's already a king in place. Kind of a weird situation to be in. First Samuel 16, 7. Uh, there's this guy named Samuel and Samuel's look, he's the prophet and he's looking at all David's brothers and, uh, and then you read this. Uh, but the Lord said to Samuel, after he's looked at the brothers, do not consider his appearance or his height for I've rejected him. Talking about one of the brothers. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. And so David this little shepherd boy, the youngest, he's anointed king of all of Israel. I mean, can you imagine that, right? Uh, and it would be hard not to just be totally arrogant and all of these things. But David's life, you would think like, oh, great, he's king. Everything works out, right? But it gets, it gets kind of weird. All of a sudden, in, later in 1 Samuel 16, David is called in to play the harp for the person who is the king at the time. His name is Saul. And so now he's playing the harp so that Saul can relax and go to sleep at night. Then in 1 Samuel 17, you know this story, David slays Goliath. Uh, There's the story of David and Goliath, the most famous story of David's life probably. Uh, And so all of a sudden he has this grand moment and, and then he becomes like, friends with Saul's son, uh, the king's son, Jonathan. There's some tension here in, you know, 1 Samuel 18, right? You have David, he's been anointed king, but there's a king in place who has some real jealousy and uh, insecurity issues for sure and isn't really living for God. That's why God doesn't want to be king anymore. And now David's friends with his son. I guess pretty dramatic thing going on. And, and, and the 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 people are starting to fall in love with David because he's this incredible soldier who's just taking out all of their enemies, basically. And so then in 1 Samuel 18, you see that, that Saul becomes jealous of David, which, you know, is bound to happen. And here's what you read in 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9. When the men were 
returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the, woman came, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Eek. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. So then Saul tries to kill David. That's the next thing to happen in 1 Samuel 19. You can see the line that's happening here. And then David is forced to flee Saul and he ends up living in a cave. That's how it goes. And so you see all those things that I've already mentioned, right? I mean, David has, he's going to be king and that's derailed and, and, and he loses his friend. That's part of the story. His friend Jonathan, his very best friend, he can't, he can't be with him anymore and he's forced to flee. He's forced to leave everything that he loves in life. And, and David seems like a guy that is bent towards depression a little bit in the Psalms. Like he, he's a little bit of a roller coaster of emotion and now he's, he's stuck in this cave And the first thing that David says is so indicative of how we ought to be. It's hard to be this way, but how we ought to be. Because listen to Psalm 34, 1 through 3. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David starts with an expression of, of praise. And I think one of the things that we can ignore that, that seems like a common refrain throughout scripture is that we should praise God highly at all times. That his praise should always, to repeat it here, always be on our lips. Um, my grandma has this story. She's over here. You can wave. Um, my grandma tells this story about uh, being in church and she was having some struggles in life and she was next to her dad uh, and, and uh, you've heard me tell this story if you've been around before but, but she, she didn't feel like singing during the you know, worship music that the church was doing and her dad, long time uh, church planter and pastor leans over, says sing she says I don't feel like it, he says it's not about what you feel like, you need to sing because we're worshiping God here right now like this, is, this isn't about what you feel this is about what you know and, and so you need to worship God. And she was a Christian. He wasn't just telling some, you know, person that didn't love God that. So she sings or whatever. And not long after that, her, her dad died in a car accident. And, uh, and she was at the church service, the next church service. And, and do you think she felt like singing? No, right? I mean, she didn't feel like singing. But she could hear the words of her dad, you know, in, in her mind saying, this isn't about how you feel. This is about It's about what you know. It's about what you know about God, and so you need to sing. So she sang. And and this same teaching from my great-grandfather is is a teaching that's throughout Scripture and seen in the life of David. I I cannot imagine that David goes from, I'm anointed king, you know, I'm just a little shepherd boy, like things are going to be great, I'm I'm a mighty warrior that everybody loves. All the women are chanting when I walk down the road. I mean, how I've reached the pinnacle of success to living in a cave, you know, just never knowing if he's going to be able to return to normalcy ever again. And the first thing we read in this psalm is David praising God. And I think that we would do better in the cave if we follow David's lead here. Uh, but it points to something. He knew what God had given him, and that's a big part of this. But there's this, this thing that I love, man. I think we've messed it up. Some of you could claim I messed it up in my big announcements this morning, but when we, uh, 
when we see this word glory here, I hope for a lot of you, 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 you think, wow, that's a word we talk about a lot at this church. At this church, we, we say, this is the thing, we, we exist to help people experience and express the glory of God. That's why, that's why our church exists. Everything we do, we try to aim at the glory of God. We're imperfect in that, I'm sure, but we are always aiming to glorify God. This isn't about you primarily. This is about the glory of God and helping you glorify God. We don't primarily exist for your personal growth. We don't even primarily exist for people to, and more people to know Jesus. All those, those things point to God's glory and we hope that we glorify God in those things. We exist for him. That's why the church exists. And here, David uses this Hebrew word for glory that I think is so helpful. And, and the word he uses is a word that really means to shine or to flash forth light. It's a word for praise. And what David basically says here is that in the midst, in, in this cave, in this cave, what I'm going to choose to do is shine my light. I'm going to shine my light on God and who God is and how great God is. I, uh, uh, I have this flashlight here because I think this is what it means to glorify God. I'll turn it down so I don't get sued by uh, ruining your eyes or anything. But, but really this word is saying in your life, what is the thing that you are choosing to magnify? What is the thing that you are choosing to show off? What is the thing that you are choosing to point others to? And for David, it's glory. I think of this, you know, I, 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 uh, I've never been in a real cave, but I went to Corbin University down in Salem, and, and when I was there, uh, I've probably told you this before, but uh, there, was, there were these doors in our parking lot. Um, if you've heard this story before, forgive me. But they were just like tied with, uh, not zip ties, but the things you, if you didn't have handcuffs, you would tie people up with. What, I don't know why I know that, but uh, too many shows, but like whatever those cords are, kind of those rubbery cords. And they were just tied there. And for whatever reason, just, you know, when you, you're at a place consistently, you, you don't even think about them. We just parked next to them, never thought about them. But one night I took the, the ghost tour of, I don't believe in ghosts, but, but I took the ghost tour of Corbin University. It used to be a TB hospital. You've heard me tell the story of screaming like a little kid because one of my buddies scared me uh, after a flashlight wouldn't go on. But after all this, like looking around the old scary hospital stuff, we, we decided with campus security to break into these doors that sat in the parking lot. So we cut them open, we opened them up and we looked in and, and whatever you picture when you picture a dungeon, it was a dungeon. It, it was like as wide as this room that we're in right now gravel floor and just looked like, I, I don't know how it existed. It must have been built in. It must have been a cave, like a man-made cave. And I've been told it was to run like food down to the other parts of the hospital or whatever, but I've never seen anywhere scarier in my life. And, and somebody said, do you want to go in? <laughs> no, there's one flat. No, I don't want to go in. Why would I want to go in? But I think about that cave and I think about how brightly a single flashlight would have shown had we walked into it. And in that cave, you would have made a decision. This is why I don't want to go in, right? Because one guy had a flashlight, the campus security, and he would have chosen where the light went. And I think that David's word here is absolutely perfect because David reminds us of something. In our darkest days, in our darkest moments, our light can shine brighter on God's goodness and greatness if we choose to aim it there. What happens, sorry, you have to go through the flash thing every time, like there's no other way, but, um, but what happens, I think, 
is that we just turn the flashlight in and we just say, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. I've done it a lot. You just heard me do it at the beginning of the service. Um, like we, we just shine the light here, just shine the light on ourselves and make it all about us. But David, from the very beginning of this psalm, in the midst of his darkest moments, he says, my flashlight is going to be aimed at the goodness and the greatness of the God that I serve. If we will spotlight the Lord, notice this, it says that people will hear and rejoice. This is really, this is important in the, the culture we're kind of living in right now, right? Because, and you know I'm guilty, I'm saying us, but we've been so focused on our, just talking about our problems and who we're mad at and who's doing it wrong, that, that maybe we've forgotten that our, our flashlight should be shined on God. And maybe if we shine our flashlight on God, then the words of, of, of David would prove true. People would hear and they too would rejoice. They too would, are we helping others know God and, and celebrate God even in the midst of their darkest days? I don't know, I haven't been so good about that. In 1 Peter 2.12, it says, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And I think that's the story for our lives. We, in the midst of the darkest days that we can live through, we should be shining our light on God so that others may look, we should be living such good lives that others may look at our God and, and decide to glorify him, to decide to embrace him. Acts 16, there's this story of, a, of Paul and Silas, and they've been locked in a, I preached on this last year, they, they were locked in a, a prison um, for preaching the gospel, and these prisons were gross and disgusting, and, and, and when we find them in the story of Acts 16, they're, they're, they're having a worship service, they're just, you know, singing, I don't, they probably don't have instruments, but they're singing, um, they're just singing to God. They are shining their spotlight on God, and a lot of people that day choose to follow Jesus because of them. And I think for us, like David, we can be this brave to shine the spotlight on God because that takes some bravery, right? We can be this brave in the cave when we are convinced of all that God gave. And that's what we're gonna see as he moves forward. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. David says this is part of what God gave him. He sought the Lord and, and God delivered him from his fears. The word sought, man, I think this is, is so important here. It's, it's a word that is about restoring our relationship to God or looking to God for, for information and guidance and direction. I think there's a difference that maybe we miss sometimes between praying, which I hope you know all of us who are Christians do, at least occasionally, between praying and really seeking the Lord, really seeking the Lord. Um, uh, an old mentor of mine, and I've, I've said this to you before, but he wrote this book called God Told Me. And oftentimes in, in our lives, we, we kind of can pick one of two sides when it comes to how we think God in, interacts with us. We say like, God's not really involved in my decisions and my comfort and all these things. I believe in him and all that, but he's not really involved. Or we kind of look at God and say, say like he's kind of dictated exactly what he wants to happen and, and you know, this is his doing and you know, he's told me to do this and I gotta find the exact right thing that God wants me to do. And, and Jim in this book, God Told Me, takes this approach that just stuck with me through the years since I read that book. He basically gives this picture of God as, as, as uh, a being who loves us, that's right, right? We all agree with that, I hope you agree with that. Who loves us 
and wants what's best for us and is willing to just offer us advice for how to live our lives. Like advice, like the best advice, perfect advice. But it's not like God's gonna be mad if we go the wrong direction on certain decisions. And the, the thing that the Jim, the story that's kind of always stood out with me is he was writing his dissertation or his doctoral program and, and, and he didn't know what to write it about. And he just said to God, you gotta tell me, <laughs> you gotta tell me. And I'm gonna stay up and not sleep until you tell me. And so he stayed up all night and finally God told him. God just, it just whispered in his ear and just said, this is what you're gonna do it on. And, uh, and, I, and, and, and that's the difference for me between seeking God and just praying. Hey God, could you help us out? You know, I'd like some direction. But really just diving in and saying, I'm waiting for an answer. And David here says, I sought the Lord, not just I said a prayer, but I sought the Lord and God then delivered him from all of his fears. Now, when I first read that, I don't know if you're like me, when I first read that, I read it completely wrong. Like it's just, my knee-jerk reaction is to think, well, God took away all the problems. But then I had to re, you know, remind myself, wait a minute, time out. He's still in the cave when he writes this. Like David didn't seek the Lord and all of his problems went away. David sought the Lord and he was delivered from not the issues, not the struggles, not the cave. He was delivered from his fears, from his fears. There's a lot of fear right now for a variety of reasons. If I pulled you all in this room about what you're scared about, it would be all over the place, right? It would be, there'd be so many different things. If you're gonna still have a job, is the government gonna take over? Are you gonna die of COVID? I mean, there's gonna be a whole myriad of fears that we're all dealing with. But I wonder if we would fear less, a common refrain in scripture, by the way, is to fear not. I wonder if we would fear less if we really sought God and just really waited for him to deliver us from those fears. Not to deliver us from the things that we fear, but to deliver us from the fear itself. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I really don't. Like, I don't know what it looks like for David, to be honest with you. But I think it looks more, it looks like more than God make everything better. You know, like, God, I don't like this anymore. It looks just like more than that. I think it looks like hours and not seconds. I think it looks like deeper and less shallow. I don't know exactly what it looks like. But I think we would all do better to seek the Lord, to really seek the Lord. And I think that then God would maybe deliver us from the fears that we have you know, inside of us. And then he says this thing in, in verse seven, I'm skipping a couple of uh, verses ahead. The, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. I don't think we should create a whole theology around this. Um, I think that that would probably not be the point of Psalms is to say, you know, like, I have an angel that's right next to me, and I hope we do, that sounds good to me, but I, I don't think we should create a whole theology, but there is a story about this in the Bible. There's this prophet named Elisha, and he has this servant, and, and they're surrounded by, by people that are very against them, enemies, and, and Elisha says this prayer, and he's like, God opens up his eyes to see the, what's on our side here, and all of a sudden, his eyes are open, and he sees all these heavenly chariots, this heavenly army surrounding them and protecting them. And for David, he says, God delivered me from my fears. And then he says this thing that maybe, you know, we should all just remember. Uh, and that is, God is taking care of us. 
You know, how that all plays out, you know, in, in the heavenly realms, I don't know. But God is taking care of us. God is encamped around us and God will deliver us. And what strikes me about David's words is he doesn't, he doesn't even know how true that, that statement of deliverance will be. We who live now have the wonderful benefit of knowing that Jesus came to deliver us for eternity by his death and resurrection. And David doesn't even know how all that's going to play out, but, but he had seen the work of God enough in his life that he just knew that God was protecting him, that God had him, and he was going to take care of him, and he was going to take care of anybody who would place their trust in him. I love, you know, Chris Tomlin's song, I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. We can be brave in the cave when we are convinced of what God gave. And one of the things that God has given us is an absolute promise of of us being rescued, of us being delivered, of us being protected and taken care of. No matter whether that is, you know, plays out here on this earth or in eternity, we are taken care of if we are people that follow Jesus. And here's how he continues. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. They lack nothing. Uh, The rest of the psalm is really about this idea, taking refuge in God, placing your dependence upon God. I actually called my sermon today refuge because that word stuck out to me. I don't have anything interesting to tell you about that word refuge, but I, I, I just really like it. For me, it's just like, where are you hiding? You know, like, what are you ducking underneath? Do you remember in school uh, when you do earthquake drills and they would say, get under the desk? And uh, I, that's what I picture with refuge, although I never trusted those 80-year-old desks that they had me sitting at in grade school to really save me if all of Kennedy Elementary School was collapsing down on my head. But that's the idea. I mean, where are you, like, if you have to crawl away and hide, where are you crawling away and hiding to? And the answer for David is God. The answer for David is God. And the reason is because he has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If you believe that God is good, then it only makes sense that you find your refuge in him. I, man, I'm guilty of so many things, but one of the top, put it at the top of the list, one of the things I'm most guilty of is taking refuge in my ability (laughs) to figure things out, to, to work harder, to find a way through, and oh, God is working really hard this year to teach me that that's not the best solution. I think I just keep adding on to the, I said I was at the end of my rope, but my solution is to just keep adding knots to the end sometimes. Like, I can find a way, I can figure this out, we can keep doing it. And, and this, man, the last year is teaching me how bad of an idea that is because there are so many things that are outside of my control And there is nothing that I can place my refuge in that can truly protect me except for God himself. It's the only place that you can find a true, truly safe refuge. He says, the eyes of the Lord are, I love this, on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Don't you need to know that? Like when you're stuck in a cave, don't you just need to know that God is actually paying attention to you? I I need to know that God is paying attention to me. And that's what David reminds us of here. Like, again, David hasn't left the cave. 
Like, so don't think like, oh, if, if everything was better for me, you know, if we, if everything was figured out in our culture and society, then of course I could say like, God's paying attention. David is still in a cave with a king chasing him down, trying to kill him. And he just knows that God is listening. And it's in large part because he has seen the answer of God so many times in his life. Even when he fights Goliath, do you remember that story? He fights Goliath. And what does he say when, when Saul's trying to get him to try his armor on? He's like, this is too big, but I can do this because I've already seen God deliver me from scary things like this. Don't doubt, this is an old saying that I love, don't doubt in the dark what you have seen in the light. And if you have seen God provide for you and take care of you and deliver you and be your refuge and prove trustworthy in your life, then don't doubt it when you're stuck in the cave. He is still the same God. If you're a Christian, then know that God is watching over you and he's listening to your prayers. The righteous cry out, he says, and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. I love cry out. If I like the word sought in this passage, I also like the word cry out. I don't think we cry out to God enough. I, I, I live in a condo, so it can be a little weird, but like, but like, what if we just like audibly just cried out to God like more? I think we would be better for it. I think that the world would be better for it if we just said, sometimes I, th- I feel like this year I just need to scream at God and not like in an angry way, just scream like, are you up there? Like, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. Um, and, and man, again, what David says here is convicting because... He just trusts that the righteous, the righteous, those who have a right relationship with God, we've talked about that a lot as, we've preached, as I've preached through the book of Romans, we've preached through the book of Romans, the righteous, those who have a right relationship with God, we believe that comes through Jesus. Now those who have a right relationship with God will be delivered, they'll be taken care of. And when we see that, I, again, it's so easy to say, well that means we get out of the cave, right? That means that we'll get out of the cave. But David says that from a cave. He's saying that while he's stuck living in a cave. He can't go outside because he might be killed. And it does bring up this problem of, of, of evil, right? Like, I mean, I am, I am a righteous person. I've been made righteous by the blood of Christ. And if you're a Christian, you've been made righteous by the blood of Christ. And and so we, we ask and we're like, why does God, you know, let me go through these things. The problem of evil is this idea that if God is all knowing and all loving and good uh, and all powerful, then why do, do bad things still exist in the world? Why, does bad, why do bad things still happen? Why do people die of disease? I mean, why does this still happen? And man, I love this thing Ravi Zacharias uh, said before he died. Uh, I saw him in this interview, and man, I thought it was just so brilliant. He said, yeah, we believe that God is all good, all knowing, and all powerful. And that makes evil a real problem. But what we sometimes forget, and what needs to be added to those things, is that God is also all wise and eternal. 
And so his perspective on what happens in this world is vastly different than ours. His perspective on, on the things that you struggle with is vast, are, it's just vastly different than yours. Who has gone through a trial in their life? You don't have to raise your hand. Who's gone through a trial where it really just seemed like God answered your prayers in the wrong way only for you to get to the other side and you realize how much better it was for you? And what if you could magnify that to infinity and, and apply it to all of the things that are in existence and that we experience, all the experiences of all of humanity, maybe, just maybe, despite the fact that we don't like the way that certain things go, God still is in control, still loving and still good because he sees it from a totally different perspective than you. I, I, I mean, I know this is, maybe this is not a good example or analogy, but I mean, it just happened today for crying out loud. My kids, they wake up and they want treats. They want treats. They want something that makes them feel good, that satisfies some level of hunger and break that fast in the morning. I mean, they wake up and they want candy, right? It happened today because yesterday I told them today could be a double treat day. And so Hudson got out of bed and said, did Hazel get her treat yet? Because I want mine. This is, this is a part of life. Now, we all know, we all know that their request is not what's best for them. And there is no way in their almost four and almost six-year-old brains, there's no way for them to be able to see that I am right and they are wrong. And I would offer to you that maybe there is no way in our human finite brains that we can see that even when God allows for bad things to happen, he is right and we are wrong. But David seems to understand that despite, that's scary, I don't like that, right? Like I wanna know that I know that when I need a treat, I need a treat and that's right. And I, I can throw my own fits, my kids aren't big fit throwers thankfully, but, but I can throw my own level of a fit towards God and like, no, 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 like we, I get what's right here and I don't know why you can't figure it out too and do something about it. But I submit to myself and to you again that maybe it's God's incredibly infinite good, wise perspective that allows for evil to exist and, and him to still be all loving and all knowing. And David looks and says, here's what I do know, that even if I can't tell exactly why God allows for things to happen and why I'm stuck in this cave, I do know this, that in the end, in the end, he is going to take care of the people who love him and live for him. We know, we know from the book of Romans, we've already, if you've been around for the book of Romans, then you, you heard me preach on one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. All Romans 8 is about my favorite, but, but in Romans 8, it says, God works all things for the good of those who love him. We know that everything we face is working out for our good. And so we can, we can be brave in the cave because we trust what God has given us. And that is, that is that God will ultimately deliver us from everything he will ultimately deliver us from everything. And then finally, David says in verse 22, the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. He had no idea how true that was. And doesn't that sound, if you've been with us, doesn't that sound like so much like what Paul is trying to say in the book of Romans? Like, there is no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to rescue us from the sin that exists in our lives and in this world. He died on a cross, the worst horrific death the world has ever known because on that cross, he paid for your sins. He paid the punishment of hell that each and every one of us deserve. 
And in three days, he came back from the grave. He conquered sin and death for eternity. And all we have to do is place our faith in him and then there will be no condemnation for us, not for all of eternity. And so David, you know, long before Jesus even walked the earth, David said the very thing that we can cling to even more as Christians. And so now I would just say that when we're in a cave, all the more we should be able to cry out, the Lord will rescue his servants, no one. No one, not even me, who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Do not doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. You can be brave in the cave when we are convinced of what God gave and it all comes down to remembering how much Jesus has accomplished for you. It's easy to look at all the things God hasn't done for us. (laughs) Say, well, come on, God, get up to my level. Get on my page, be with me here. But when we remember all that Jesus has done for us, it allows for us, like David, to be brave, to continue to do the right things, to serve God, to shine our light on him and not ourselves because we recognize all that we have in him.